Hello everybody, welcome to the Wicked Side. This is your host, Brenna speaking, and today I've got a uh, special guy <laughs> who's subtly trying to open a recall. <laughs> I could have done it in the 30 minutes prior to this, but no. <laughs> now seemed appropriate. Uh, anyway, everybody, this is, um, co-hosting today is my brother, Tom. Hi, everybody. So, he's agreed to sit down and talk with me about, um... A particular incident that we both became aware of because of the Disney show So Weird. Yeah, and it was it was freaky because the moment you mentioned the disaster to me, that us watching that hit me before you mentioned it. Yeah. I knew exactly what you were talking about the moment you said it. I loved that show mm-hmm. so much. I don't know. It's kind of one of those things that like, when I bring it up, a lot of people don't remember it. Oh, I mean, and which is weird because at the time, it was covered by more media sources than almost any disaster of similar nature mm-hmm. because of its proximity to so many new major news outlets in Chicago. Yeah, it's seven around it. Yeah, yeah I mean, the Chicago, Chicago Times had a, an archive of like 94 glass negatives they found in their basement, all stills from the disaster. But... Yeah. Many of them had never been But ever since that episode, I've never heard of it. I also don't, you know, do the genre of podcasting either, but, yeah. like, I, I past that episode, I've never heard of it. Yeah, and I do, I, I saw that same um, article, and I fully recommend going and listening to it because it was really, really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, they, they said that, like, several of the negatives had never been printed, had never seen the light of day before. So it was literally history that had never been exposed, and that's, like, just so cool yeah no it was uh, and it also goes to show how out of the country especially the fact that we live locally and yeah. haven't heard that much about it yeah but the bath michigan disaster was the same thing i mean a guy literally blew up a school with dynamite and i had never heard of it yeah okay fair enough yeah i can only remember hearing about that about once no it's wild how much history just kind of Fades, you know? What would they call it? The Titanic of the Great Lakes or something? Yeah, it was something similar because, and it, not the overall count, but the passenger death toll was higher mm. than the Titanic. Okay, so I didn't know that. That's crazy. Yeah, if you factor in crew with the Titanic, the death toll was higher. But for the passenger count, yes. this. The... I mean, fuck those crew, they didn't matter. <laughs> okay. The Wicked Side does not always agree with our guest host. Just, just a disclaimer there. <laughs> the Wicked Side does not endorse or promote anything. <laughs> she made me sign stuff. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> to all 15 of the people currently listening. So. <laughs> oh, God. But... Yeah. So anyway, what we're going to talk about today is the Chicago Eastland disaster. So if you haven't heard of it, strap the fuck in, man, because this is just fucking wild. So like most people, we've all had days that didn't go as expected. Sometimes it's something we thought would be awful, ended up being pretty fun. Other times it could be an event where we were excited about something, but it ended up being the worst day of our lives. And that feeling was one many Chicago immigrants felt the morning of July 24th of 1915. Uh, it was a Saturday morning and it was chilly, you know, kind and of which humid. Which goes to, to, because it was chilly and they were all dressed in their finest, mm-hmm. the clothes of the day were extremely heavy. Yes. On a chilly day, on open water, over the Great Lakes. And, and that's, that's why so many of the victims were women. 
Yeah. Then and, and we completely get into that. But most of them worked for the Western Electric Hawthorne Works Division. They expected to take a three-hour cruise around Lake Michigan and end up in um, Michigan City, Indiana, where there was a whole picnic thing planned for them. There was supposed to be dancing. There was supposed to be, like, a barbecue. There was a beauty contest, a costume contest. And this was a big deal for a lot of people that otherwise could not afford to do something like this. You know? A lot of them were Czech immigrants, it's just a sad... It's like the saddest Gilligan's Island thing. Like, a three-hour cruise. Yeah, like, really? oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, to cap it all off, they were supposed to return by a three-hour cruise, lit by moonlight and dancing. It's supposed to be an overall really fun event for them. Before we get into the main story, let's go back to cover the history of the ship itself. The SS Eastland was built in 1902 in Michigan by the Jinx Shipbuilding Company and was launched May 6 of 1903. She was launched specifically to compete with other steamer ships of the time. This was a huge industry and a huge market, which again we'll get into a little bit later. Her nickname was the Speed Queen of the Great Lakes. The Eastland was roughly the size of a football field at 275 feet long with its beam, going, which is, for those who don't know, going from um, one side to the other, at 30 feet. She was built in the city of South Haven. The specifications in the contract were they wanted her to reach 22 miles per hour. If she went under 19 miles per hour, it would have voided out the contract between the people who ordered her and the shipbuilding company. So it was like speed, but with a shitty bureaucratic contract. Mm -hmm. Oh, cool. If you go under 19 miles an hour, we will shut you down. Yep. The behemoth of a ship had... Three passenger decks, including cabins and staterooms. There was a bar, a dance floor, and a prominent deck. Passengers were often very impressed by how well appointed it was for a steamship. To give you an idea, during this time frame, steamships were sort of the nightclubs of the time. You got on the boat, you drank with friends, and you partied. You listened to music that was being played from the giant calliope on top of the ship, and you had fun. It was said wait, that she wait. was... People had fun listening to Calliope music? Apparently. Oh, Jesus. This was a different time. <laughs> wow. <laughs> they also had multiple, like, pianos, too, in various parts, too, that people would... We're sure God didn't just smite it out of the Calliope <laughs> music. Out <laughs> of desire to never listen uh, to that again. <laughs> never! <laughs> yep. It was said she would pull into Chicago and the music that was playing from the top was so loud that workers were stop, would stop working. They would run to the nearest windows to watch her as she passed and this, you know, pissed off employers. <laughs> Which tells you how little entertainment there oh, was God. then. Oh, man. <laughs> I couldn't have... The only reason I'm running to the window for Calliope music is to slam it shut. Like, <laughs> like, are you fucking kidding me? Uh, Look, this is the early 1900s. What else were you going to do? <laughs> not that. Not that, no. I but. don't. It's, it, it is shocking what, like, and considering where they were going. Like, there was an, a, a theme park of its time where they were going to, like, mm-hmm. but, like, still, in the middle of your day, this thing rolls by, you know, with its chimp and a grinder song going through <laughs> and people are running to the windows literally disturbing their work day and pissing off employers because fucking calliope music yeah <laughs> okay all yep. right oh i'm learning so much <laughs> 
Well, it's also kind of important to remember that there wasn't, like, quite the advertising boom yet, you know? Yeah. So this was the best way for them to kind of draw attention to themselves, good or bad, apparently. And people heard it, and it was the best way to kind of say, hey, we're here, you know, come and uh, partake of the service that we offer, so... Backfired immensely, I think. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately. So at one point, the ship was actually so popular, it was investigated for vice. Fun, fun, fun. So, I mean, specific kinds of vice or all kinds of vice? All kinds of vice. Oh, drink a drug and whore and let's go. And they were guilty of all of it. Oh, sweet! (laughs) I mean, maybe I could do the Calliope music. It wouldn't be so bad then. (laughs) I could drown it out through one of those three things or the combination therein. Yeah, well, when authorities investigated, they actually found children drinking beer. (laughs) Okay, but that's the best place in that you could have found the kids, to be fair. Uh, Yeah, well, several ladies of the night uh, had rented cabins, and gentlemen would come to the cabin, stay for a certain amount of time, and then leave, and then, hey, another gentleman would come in behind them, so... I mean, considering you used to service my underage drinking needs, I think it's a bit judgy that you... Shush. (laughs) (laughs) I was a good big sister and totally and completely responsible, Mom. (laughs) The reason I like Southern Comfort from occasion to occasion. I was also a broke college student, okay? I didn't know better. (laughs) (sighs) But it was was great. Thank you. Thank you. It was that and it, it was... The Boone's Farm shit. Oh my god, me and my girlfriend used to get so drunk on that nasty ass shit. Mm, karate Kool-Aid, bro. That's probably Let's why go. I have diabetes now. So. Fair. Fair. <laughs> it's definitely why I was pre-diabetic at some point. Like <laughs> That shit was meant to kill you. <laughs> it's just fruit-flavored gasoline. <laughs> I mean, Mad Dog 2020. Obviously, we will never be sponsored by Boone's Farm. <laughs> oh, man. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> no. But, yeah. Some would argue that the ship was doing its job just a little too well. The whole goal was to create a space where hard-working people could come and just unwind. Um, and in a relaxing environment, wallets also tended to open up a little more, and cash got flowing. So it was by no means a uh, kind gesture. It was it was money. It's yeah. Always, it's always money. It's, so. Yeah. That's... <laughs> Every t- time I see a corporation hashtag something, like, no, you don't care. It's just money. Yeah, yeah. Pride Month is a perfect example, I... and we're sitting right in the middle of it. So, yeah. It's, uh, great. <laughs> don't get it. Yeah. But now we'll move on to a bit about the ship's construction. Similar to how the Titanic was designed, the SS Eastland had a dual hull. This, of course, meant that if there was a hole in a ship, compartments would close off and lock up. Supposedly to prevent the water from moving on. She was, of course, also had ballast tanks, but these were problematic. The Jenks company that built it were actually primarily builders of cargo ships. Mm -hmm. They didn't really build passenger ships. And so the ballast system that they used was actually made for a cargo ship, Mm -hmm. not a passenger ship, which meant the plumbing and the piping was woefully inadequate to handle the amount of people that would be on it. Yeah. So it was a huge problem. And prior to the boarding, Mm -hmm. the captain purged the ballast tanks Mm -hmm. in order to raise the gangplank so that they would be walking up onto the ship versus down onto the ship, which made it extraordinarily top-heavy. Yeah. 
Unfortunately, this isn't the only problem with the Eastlands design. We'll be going more into that later. But I do have a timeline of events that might help clear things up and just show you how many red flags they had along the way that were systematically ignored. July 16th of 1903, the SS Eastland took her first maiden voyage. She won the first Team All Boat Award in 1903. She also won 1903's Boat of the Year. Now, that doesn't mean anything because there were so many fucking publications out at that time that it could have been some new science stand that's just like, it's Boat of the Year, and it doesn't mean dick because yep. it wasn't like a universal thing. So uh, that award is not as impressive the as it sounds. The Snake Oil of Awards. Yeah, exactly. And back then, oh shit. Oh yeah, they were rampant. Yeah. August of 1903, she had a mutiny. The firemen or the men who kept the boilers going refused to go back into what they called the fire hole. Uh. Yep. <laughs> I knew you were going to laugh at that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you're going to laugh at this too, okay? Because they were not provided with potatoes for their meal, which oh. led to the arrest of six men. They None were of- Irish, weren't they? <laughs> Probably. Oh, jeez. <laughs> well, y'all got to make us look bad. <laughs> Look, I get it. I, I do. I get it. I understand. <laughs> like I said, it led to the arrest of six men, though none of them were charged. In September of 1903, modifications were made to the ship that helped increase her speed because she didn't reach the 22 miles an hour they were hoping for. Unfortunately, these modifications also destroyed the stability inherent in her design. So... Uh. And you saw it pretty quickly. July 17th of uh, 1904, we see the result of this modification. After leaving South Haven with approximately 3,000 passengers, most of which were postal workers, she began to list dangerously and nearly capsize. The captain and the crew's response to this was to grab fire hoses and begin spraying people to force them back below decks (laughs) to the bottom of the ship. Be our human ballast, go! Exactly. Yeah, that's pretty much what they did. So it's kind of like working at Walmart, I guess. Yeah, they actually, uh, this actually put the passengers in more danger because if the ship had capsized, they would have been all trapped below. As a result, they lowered the capacity to 2,800, a whole 200 people. Woohoo! And, so how many uh, people did they fire for that? They probably not took it out enough. of the crew. They probably took it out of the crew, honestly. Oh, like they, they were like two hundred less crew. All of you do your fucking jobs, regardless. Y'all double up, and yeah. uh, we're gonna put on two hundred more passengers. So. I have no problem believing that. I Me don't. Neither. Not with money making machines. Not not with the rest of the story being known too. Exactly. Like, these guys weren't exactly on the level. Nope. <laughs> Nobody involved with that ship was on the level. Mm, Nope. She had some pretty extensive hull damage that they had to repair, and they removed some cabins in an effort to help, I guess. In 1905, she was sold to the Michigan Transport Company. August 5th of 1906, another listing occurred. This one was so severe it caused passengers to uh, file complaints against the ship operators. Just before 1907, she was sold again to Lakeshore Navigation Company and moved to Lake Erie. In 1909, she was sold again to the Eastland Navigation Company, who ran excursions between Cleveland and Cedar Point. And the 1st of July in 1912, she had another severe listing while loading passengers in Cleveland. 
This time, the ship listed 25 degrees. During the event, one man refused to get back on the ship at all and actually ended up taking a train home. In light of what happened, I can't say I blame him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, for real. <laughs> that, was, that was a smart man. He was like, no, fuck this shit. Gone. <laughs> you know how I am about, like, oh, you guys want to go to a graveyard, look for ghosts and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. go by yourselves. Not <laughs> fucking yeah. going with you. I don't... I'm, I'm not even one spitting twice shy type shit. Like, no, it's no, why I, I will. If I'm on a ship that leans, I'm never getting in a rowboat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like nope. that noise. Nope. <laughs> and it's why repeatedly the show's kind of motto was never fuck with Ouija boards. <laughs> True. <laughs> never fuck with Ouija boards. Just True. don't do it. Even if it's just a fucking game from Milton Bradley. Why? Mm-hmm. Why tempt fate, just in case you're human and wrong? Look, dude. As we often are. There there are two things that I have at home that I'm kind of embarrassed to tell you. I have a 5-watt laser, just in case ghosts are susceptible to 5-watt lasers. (laughs) And I have silver bullets. Just in case. (laughs) So if werewolves ever become a thing, you're down. Werewolves, vampires, (laughs) something unholy. I'm going to carve crosses in the front of them. like that that movie it's gonna be like that hellboy bullet by the time i'm done oh, and yeah. stuff it with garlic little bit of holy water oh, the... God. i was thinking of the movie priest oh yeah there you go he did that too <laughs> anyway this brings us to her final sale in or well not her final sale but her sale in 1914 saint joe chicago steamship company where she was returned to lake michigan so I tell you all this to make two points. First off, the Eastland had a serious problem with stability, and it was very obvious. And secondly, the, ended, the man who ended up buying the ship claimed that he didn't know the ship's complete history because of how often she was sold and moved. He knew she had stability issues, however, as we'll see later. But he also knew he was getting a very large, well-appointed steamship for a bargain. It's not the first time... Nope, and unfortunately, the cost of the Eastland was one no man can actually tabulate. Now is where we get into the heart of the story. On July 24th of 1915, the Eastland and four other Great Lakes passenger steamships, so named the Theodore Roosevelt, the Potoski, the Rachnine, and the Rochester, were chartered to take employees of the Western Electric Company's Hawthorne Works Division on a picnic to the Michigan City, Indiana, as I said earlier. For the poor and hard-working Czech immigrants, this would have been a very big deal. Without their employer paying for this excursion, they never would have been able to afford it. This is a group of people who had, for the most part, never been on vacation before. At 6.30 a.m. on a cool, damp Saturday morning, passengers began to board the SS Eastland, which was docked between Clark and LaSalle Streets. By 7.10 a.m., she was at full capacity of... 2,572 passengers, most of which had moved below decks because of the chill in the air. It was also at this time she began to list to her port side, which faced away from the wharf. At 7.28 a.m., she lurched sharply and then rolled all the way onto her side, sinking to the bottom of the river, which was 20 feet below, which left about half the Eastland submerged. The sudden roll caused all the furniture in the well-appointed rooms we discussed earlier to slide violently. Passengers were crushed and pinned beneath tables, chairs, bookcases, and pianos. Young people who were in the dance hall at the time had no idea of the danger they were in, so they kept dancing until a giant refrigerator filled with beer tipped over and shattered all the bottles inside. 
To make matters worse, the only staircase leading to the upper decks had been packed with people trying to escape, creating a bottleneck situation, and this was, in fact, where most of the bodies were later found. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I say avoid cramped spaces and a padding, man. Yeah. Well, uh. I talked, actually, about... Um, before in a previous episode about an event called the Victoria Hall disaster. And it was something sadly similar, but this time it was children. Oh. Yeah. And it was incredibly sad. Oh, I can't imagine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So <sighs> this has kind of given me a teasing reputation that Taylor and Nigel have kind of teased me for. Um, I kind of have a habit about reading about disasters in which kids die kind of a lot, so. Fuck your kid. <laughs> I swear I don't hate children, it just sounds that way. <laughs> but yeah, sadly they're often the victims of disasters like this because they are literally the most vulnerable people in our society. So if something goes wrong. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So yep. Also, the clothing uh, of the time, as we had talked about earlier, were wearable death traps when soaked with water. Yeah, that heavy material, everything is either wool or, like, like hard. And And it was a chilly day, so they were dressed warmly. You hear people bitch about underwire now. Mm-hmm. And back then, it wasn't just no one oh, wire no, well under nothing. Oh, no, well-worn and shit. It was no. basically armor with lace on it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, not only that, there was also supposed to be a costume contest. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. So. At the picnic. So there were people there in heavy, elaborate costumes, too. Oh. Yeah. Uh. They were heavy just standing in them, but imagine them soaked. Think anybody dressed up as a diver? <laughs> I don't know, but there was one dressed up as Uncle Sam. Uh, <laughs> All right, fair. I mean, look, I but I respect that. That that was uh, that's an immigrant. Like, hey, dude, me and Uncle Sam, what's up? I'm promoting. Yep. <laughs> Anyway, um, the crew of a nearby ship called the Kenosha pulled up alongside and began helping stranded passengers onto their own decks. A short man, um, who people had nicknamed around town the Human Frog, began jumping into the water and pulling people out. Yep. Yeah. Uh, there was uh, instances of uh, are the, the guy who took the rowboat. There was mm-hmm. a, a guy in a rowboat who ended up rescuing a bunch of people that was really interesting. Um, yeah. He got like 29 people, I think, with a fucking rowboat. Quite a few. Yeah. Row. There was... That dude was stroking, man. Right. There there was a lot of little everyday heroes in this one. And it kind of goes back to that uh, Mr. Rogers quote. Yeah. When he was talking about whenever you see a disaster, you know, look for the helpers. Yeah. Oh, the people who rush in first, dude. It's the... Not just your first responders, the people who just feel the call to run forward. Exactly. Exactly. And that's one of those things... For as shitty as the you know however your feelings about the Zack Snyder movies are the moment when you see Bruce Wayne running into the disaster when yeah. everyone else is running away it's that person yep that's how you identify those heroes exactly when yep. everybody else is running for their lives they're looking for some they're looking for the next one to help and, and then it's 110% true and in fact this case was 
so interesting because it was so very, very public. It was in the middle of fucking Chicago. I think we had said there was like seven news outlets around at it. Least. At least. There were so many people just walking up and down the street. People who saw this stopped and they were grabbing stuff off the street and throwing it to people. Some of the first, some of the first major, dis- are, are, it has some of the most actual footage. Yeah. Than, than equivocal disasters of its time. Yeah. Because of where it was at. Exactly. Real footage. Some of it's crazy. It is. It, uh, yeah. It's, yeah. It, and it's, I, I always recommend going and looking at the pictures because listening oh. to it is one thing, but hearing or, you know, seeing the photographs just makes it more real. And, and you kind of remember these are people, you know? They were mothers and, and fathers and they were children. They were people that woke up and brushed their hair and joked around and yeah. argued and had flaws and, you know, they were humans. And it's incredibly sad, just the huge amount of life lost. And I haven't even gotten into the numbers yet. Yeah. Like I said, people on the streets were throwing anything that might float, trying just to help. And it was really hard to do because at the time, the river was actually flowing at eight miles an hour and had a very strong current. So all the other factors that were working against the people who were in the river, that was also that. Despite the immediate response and the efforts of everybody nearby, a total of 844 passengers and four crew members died this day. That is, and when you take when you break that down into the demographic of deaths, it is, it is heartbreaking. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I can't think of a word for it. No. Cried when I saw the pictures of the makeshift morgues, uh, and just rose and rose. And people rose. dressed in their Sunday's best. Yep. Kids, women, men, whoever. It was so indiscriminate. People just it. Yeah. Ah, and the 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 sad the the really sad part is like how many died instantaneously, crushed at you know whatever it was the the moment it turned sideways. They I think they said that fifty percent were dead the moment it turned sideways. Yeah. And then, but then that's another four hundred people who either drowned slowly. Yeah. Or were impaled, or died bleeding, or died later, like. Oh yeah, it's the the uh, one of my ultimate. I'm I'm a very good swimmer, but mm. the fear of drowning. Oh yeah, is so. Oh, that is the that is possibly one of the worst ways you could go in, yeah. in my book. Just. Uh. Yep, and we were very lucky because that was one thing Mom was determined. Yeah. Yep. She made sure that like we went to like classes for it when we were young, and not just Mom, uh, uh Mom and Dad, Dad Don. That was. Yeah, uh, the sandbar at Aunt Cindy's. Yep. And they're you know, if you guys want to come home, good luck. Like here's your floaties and stuff. Swim. Good luck. Mm-hmm. Like even if you get that. Yep. They made sure to teach us, and I'm very grateful. And keep us sharp. Yeah, that's definitely one of the uh, a life skill that I was surprised to learn as an adult. And a lot of people don't have. Yeah. You don't know how to swim. Like what? <laughs> yeah. Okay, all right, cool. There's a few things, yeah, but that's one that definitely gets me, because it seems so basic. Gotta check my privilege at the door, I guess, because damn, Yeah, but like I said, yeah, this was in fact more passengers than the Titanic. The Titanic had 832 passengers perish. Most of the Eastland's victims, however, were women and children. That's the, well, that is a 
twisting of the dagger too. Yeah. And I brought up the Titanic a few times now, and that's no accident. You see, the sinking of the RMS Titanic had happened just three years earlier, and as a result, changed a lot of maritime law, even for ships operating in lakes and rivers, particularly the laws pertaining to lifeboats. The additional placement of these lifeboats was another critical component in the ship's dangerous lack of stability. Woodrow Wilson had just signed the Seamen's Act. Uh, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> I like the heavy look over it being waiting. Like, yep, yep. Just waiting. You know. Just waiting. <laughs> this left Walter Steele, the owner, with a choice. Reduce the ship's capacity or add lifeboats so he could maintain the capacity. He opted to add the lifeboats, which... Yeah. Normally would be a reasonable thing, but considering his stacks lack, his ship's lack of stability. Well, and it made it top heavier. The the, uh, the additional more. weight of the lifeboats added that far up mm-hmm. in the profile of the ship meant that it was inherently less stable. Yeah. Oh, and there it gets worse. Oh yeah. Yeah, there were other contributing factors. During a remodel in 1914, they removed the wood flooring in the aft dining hall located at cabin level, stripped and replaced it with two inches of concrete. Oh, yeah. They also added a layer of cement to the aft gangway. All totaled, these additions were estimated to have added between 15 to 21 tons of extra unbalanced weight. (laughs) Yep. Uh... Yep. There's just there was nobody with a calculator or a sense of balance on that project apparently. Nope, nope. So now, as I often like to do th- during these recordings, I like to try to at least highlight one little known or unsung hero, and I actually found one while listening to the podcast Most Notorious. Uh, I've talked about this podcast before, and it is a really great podcast. I encourage all of my listeners to go listen to this one too. I really recommend it if you're a history buff, but in particular, this episode, he was talking to the author of the book, Ashes Underwater, The SS Eastland and the Shipwreck That Shook America by Michael McCarthy. And he'll come up again later in when I talk about the trial a little bit. Okay. In this episode, though, in particular, he talked about a man called Joseph Erickson. Joseph Erickson was the chief engineer on the Eastland during the, the disaster. Put quotes around that. Chief engineer. Well, Erickson was actually fairly innocent okay. in this. So, and I'll go over all the reasons why. Um, Specious at best. <laughs> Erickson was actually a very, very gifted engineer. He was a Norwegian immigrant who had come to America about six years before these events. And he had worked for the Army Corps of M- Engineers. Well, alright. You sold me on him. Good man. <laughs> Good man. Yeah. Well, Erickson actually only took the position on the Eastland so he could spend more time with his wife and family and less time at sea. Erickson stayed on board the ship as long as he possibly could while it was sinking, keeping things as mechanically sound as he could during the rescue efforts. According to McCarthy, it was only when the water had reached his nose that Erickson finally gave up and swam to the surface. Oh, all right. Good man. Good man. Yeah. Well, he... Also, when he surfaced, instead of fleeing the scene like many of the crew did, he stayed behind and assisted rescue efforts. He would take a rope, jump into the water, tie it around as many people as he could, and drag them back to surface. Yeah. That's some Captain America shit. Swimming like a champion. (laughs) And he did this over and over. Human heroism is my favorite. Yep. Pure, honest acts of nobility and duty and honor. and uh, 
it's gorgeous yeah. it's a it, it, it's sad what it takes to see those sorts of things usually because it's in times of war or disaster or whatever but those yeah. bright sparks of of gorgeous humanity ah the few times we get it right i'm very fond of saying i don't believe in heroes i don't but I do believe sometimes people get it right, and when they do, it is really heroic. No one, no human ever lives up to deep scrutiny. No. Because we are human. Yeah. But it, it goes to show that every human is capable of great things or terrible deaths. Mm-hmm. But it, to see a human at any point in their life achieve one of those moments, one of those moments that we should aspire to achieve ourselves or... You know, at least mm-hmm. show a similar quality. It's, yeah. It's, it's affirming. It's affirming. It is. It really is. And again, when I talked about the Victoria Hall disaster, it was kind of one of the... It kind of highlighted the, the more quiet heroes, too, because the Hall disaster actually led to the creation of the crash bar safety doors as we know them today. Okay. So to prevent bottlenecking like that. People can't get in from the outside, but in an emergency situation, people can get out from the inside. And the man who invented that actually lived around the town that the Victoria Hall incident happened in. And he was a child at the time, but he never forgot it. Inspired. Yeah. It made such a huge impact on his life that that's what he created. Damn. Right? Yeah. (laughs) And it's one of those things where it's just kind of beautiful. Necessity being the mother of all invention yeah. and then being the one to be inspired by the necessity. And who knows how many lives he saved. There's yeah. no way to tabulate it. There's no way for us to ever calculate how many lives that invention has saved. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I, guess, I guess a similar thing would be like uh, the invention of antibiotics. You can't. Yeah. Or, you know, certain... Uh, you medical know. advancements yeah, in just general. just medical advancements yeah. in general. Like what the, the difference in mortality rate between now and then and... Uh, it's craziness. Yeah. Side note, I'm really glad you're a blubbery bitch, too. <laughs> don't, don't rat me out. They can't see me, woman. <laughs> they already know I cry every episode just about, so especially when we get into the emotional stuff. Um, oh, I'm, hey, hey, I'm fighting over here, don't you? <laughs> I'm not at one all of us, shaped. One of us has to keep it together, woman. <laughs> it won't be you. <laughs> <laughs> no, you... There, I, there I, are have, I have some words for you oh, that'll God. trigger you instantly. Extreme home makeover. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I love seeing nice things done to good people. I, I know like, you do. Oh. Uh, yep. <laughs> My fucking kryptonite. <laughs> it is. It is. I'm terrible with it. I'm terrible. Yeah. Yep. Nope. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I can't even... But uh, I'm an empathetic crier anyway, so if yeah. I see somebody crying, even if I don't agree with the reasons they're crying, I will cry with them. I cannot stop I don't it. know why this is happening, but let's do it together! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It I made my you. job working security very confusing to my coworkers. Like, <laughs> 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 are you okay? I'm fine. Like, they were in the wrong... Yeah, I know. I, I don't go agree to jail. with them at all. I need you to go to jail, but let's cry together. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Jeez. Terrible. <laughs> Fucking terrible, man. <laughs> See, I may not be a sympathetic crier. Mm-hmm. I'm a sympathetic puker, though. 
Oh yeah. I'm one of those. No. If I see, if I see it, hear it, smell it, it I'm I'm helping you out. Yep. At the same time. And now, as we return to the Wicked Ones podcast from mopping up the puddles of our bleeding hearts. <laughs> it was so close, but it's the wicked side. Oh, I fucking tried. All right, give me it again. Come on. Let me try one. Just do it. I'll let it. Okay, so it's the Wicked Ones. Wicked One? The Wicked Side. Hi. God damn it. The Wicked Side. Okay. And now, as we return to the Wicked Side podcast from mopping up the puddles of our bleeding hearts. Beautiful. <laughs> Absolutely beautiful. I'm not editing it out, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yourself. Hate you. Oh, God. Don't trust journalists, but they will and won't do in post, folks. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Sorry, folks, we needed to take a short break there for a minute, but now you got us back, so we'll finish up where we left off. And uh, I think uh, where we had left off before, we were talking about Erickson and diving in repeatedly to save people. But, interestingly, after all of the initial... Did you just choke up again just mentioning the moment? I think you did. You're going to start the waterworks again quick. I didn't. You're going to start the waterworks again quick. I didn't. So it was you, it wasn't me. Fuck off. <laughs> I didn't. I was actually trying to remember where my place was. But anyway, what happened is after the initial incident was done and the ref- rescue efforts were more or less finished, right? Erickson came around to being arrested because they arrested the entire crew. They even arrested the former captain of the ship who had just been driving by at the time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, they arrested... Everybody. And some people, it, they 110% did deserve to be arrested. Um, I'll read more that I actually have in my notes that I didn't get in my final script. Um, the current captain and all the ways he fucked up spectacularly. Negligence in the name of the dollar. Oh, oh boy. He, he's a piece of fucking work. Oh, boy. But anyway, uh, Erickson interviewed with police chief Healy. And it was during his interview with Healy that he informed the police chief that the owner, Walter Steele, had known about the stability issues and had casually inquired to Erickson about what they would do as far as repairs to the ship and if something needed to be done for stability, what Erickson would do to improve the stability. Now, it's important to note at this time, Erickson had never actually ridden on the ship. Okay. Yeah. He was, he had just been hired. Oh, okay. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. He had just been hired on. He had never ridden on the ship and he didn't know the ship's prior history. And that's... Oh, that's fun. Feels like a scapegoat in the making. Well, they tried to charge him, (sighs) but no charges were brought against him. So... They fucking tried, but he, you know, told them about the fact that Walter Steele knew that there were issues, and because of the cost of what these issues would be to fix, he opted not to do it, and six weeks later was the Eastland disaster. Uh, yeah, let's just push back that repair. 
Yeah. Let's just push that repair back, run it with a Band-Aid, it'll be okay. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure something as important as stability isn't oh. going to be needed. I mean, why would that be a thing? It's not like we're moving human lives and families and, yeah. you know, I don't know. Yeah. So, there was also a Captain Peterson, the bastard. <laughs> I'm not going to hold back on that one. All right, fair enough. He was captain of the Eastland at the time, and he was not at all qualified to be captain of the ship. He had never been a captain. He had no experience with large passenger ships before. Mm, classic case of somebody who fudged their resume? Probably. Cool. But or, Nepotism? <laughs> or Steele just looked the other way because he was a cheaper option. Oh, fair. Which... Fair enough. To me, fits better with everything that Steele's character has exhibited so far. Fair. Okay. I... Yep. He was the one, of course, who ordered the ballast, as we had talked about earlier, be drained. Yeah. And the ship raised. Yeah. So a person yeah. who doesn't understand center of gravity. Okay, not I at like all. It. I like it. Not at all. Did not understand ballast, did not understand how, not how it worked. Not at all. He also had noticed... The severe tilting and in the 15 minutes since he noticed and the time it tipped he opted to do nothing didn't mm -hmm. decide to start evacuations didn't put any protocol in place to try to fix it hell didn't walk to have everybody walk to one side of the leading ass ship like he hey can i get y'all to walk to that side please yeah <laughs> he literally did Nothing. He had 15 minutes. He could have evacuated passengers in that time. Uh, and he didn't. This is the, like, the disaster of passing the buck. Mm-hmm. Like, every bit of this disaster is somebody just, not my job, not my problem, not yet. Oh, like... yeah, I haven't given you his crowning bastard moment. Okay, lay it on me. While the Eastland was tipped over on its side, they were cutting holes into the hull in order to get to people who were trapped. I have heard about this. Yeah. They disrupted the cutter so bad that they it forced them to stop. Yeah. And more people died as a fucking result trapped in yeah. the cabins beneath. Because they were cutting people out that they couldn't otherwise reach to save them. Oh, I remember And he stopped about that. them what? because he didn't Cutting holes want... in my ship. Yeah. Cutting holes in my ship. He was more worried about the ship than the loss of life. He had a couple of crew members that were loyal to him too that were helping in the or assisting in the harassment. Yeah. The the the, the negligent murder. Like Yeah. Uh... Uh, and fun and awful fact, he was never charged either. Oh. Yeah. He, wow. as far as I'm concerned, he killed people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He 110% killed people, and he got away with it. That's ridiculous. I can't, I can't even, uh, the, the negligence and the, ugh. Yep. The bastard. I know. Yeah. It pissed me off so bad. I just couldn't with it. I just, yeah. And the fact that he just no kind of repercussion or any accountability or anything. None. None on anybody's part. Nobody, yeah. absolutely nobody involved got into any trouble. Not Walter Steele, not anybody at the St. Joe 
uh, Chicago Steamship Company, mm-hmm. absolutely fucking nobody was held accountable. Do you know which were the three executives that ran to Michigan because of the current extradition laws that Michigan held at the time? I don't. I know Steele was one of them. Okay. Walter Steele was one of them. I, I'm not was, sure of the other two. three executives, and I don't know exactly Well, they were four. from St. Joe, Michigan. But they, the reason they ran back there was because yeah, because the Michigan had non-extradition laws at that point in place. Like, yeah. holy crap. Yeah. Being able to hide across the body of water. Mm-hmm. And yep. then, to, uh, And this is where the last part of this comes in, is um, I came across an article by the Chicago Tribune um, called Historian Stage Criminal Trial for Eastland Disaster. And it's it was basically a mock trial set up as to how the prosecution might have gone if it was done with today's standards. Oh, okay. So, uh, I won't read the whole article, just the, the things pertaining to the actual trial, because mm. those were the the ones that I thought were the most... Um, how many counts of negligent relevant. homicide or ma- like negligent manslaughter can yeah. you actually be pinned with? Yeah. So, this is what um, I've decided to read from it. While there's no definitive cause for the capsizing, the dominant belief was that the ship had many structural flaws. It was overloaded with extra lifeboats and added because that had been added because of the Titanic disaster three years earlier. It had no keel and no ballast system, and the ballast system was faulty. The Chicago Tribune reported at the time. The morning that morning, as many as two thousand and five hundred people had been crammed aboard. Um, and then this is again where they used ashes underwater to kind of help recreate it and to fill in kind of the blanks. Four modern law attorneys kind of analyzed everything to kind of give a modern perspective and a legal take on it today. The ship's captain and engineer and four company executives were charged with manslaughter and criminal carelessness in August of 1915. All in the group were accused of loading the boat greatly in excess of the number of persons the boat could carry safely, according to the Chicago Tribune reports. Authorities also accused company officials of operating the ship despite knowing it was substandard in substandard condition and of hiring an incompetent engineer. Captain Harry Penderson additionally was accused of... Oh, Penderson, not Peterson. That was my mistake from earlier. Penderson was accused of not following proper procedures and failing to warn passengers to leave the Eastland when it became apparent to him she was going to overturn. The defendants were tried in federal court in Michigan where the company was located and the U.S. District Judge Clarence Sessions cleared them of cleared the men, reasoning there was not enough evidence to prove the group knew and ignored the problems the ship had, according to the news report. Ugh. Yeah. The dead cannot be restored to life, Sessions wrote in his ruling. The sorrows of the living cannot be lessened by claiming other victims. Ugh. Right? To paint the negligent assholes out to be fucking victims victims is disgusting. In the same breath as mentioning the dead. Ugh. Yep. Ugh, that fucking reeks. Yep. Yeah. Oh, those scumbags. A lot of them. Absolutely. In the end, no one was found criminally liable. Lawsuits seeking millions took up an additional two decades to unfold. Law at the time limited damages to the value of the ship, which around that time was 46000 
all of which went to pay claims for the companies that provided coal to the ship and towed the Eastland out of the river. Oh. The families received next to nothing. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, that's, uh... uh, And you know, you know what the worst mix of fucking things are? Tragedy Mm -hmm. and goddamn law. Like, cause no... Oh, yeah. Like, we struggle in civilized society to build a justice system that gives you a sense of justice. And it is, there is no perfect one throughout the world, and it sucks, and it's often not, it doesn't, you know, feel like it provides justice or or any sort Ah, And that, that is such a hard, it's so hard that that, reaffirming to that that belief, like, uh, there is no fucking justice. Yep. (laughs) And I have here, too, some of the comments from the trial and the inquest into everything. And the shipbuilder was, even came off as particularly callous to me. Like, I don't know that I really blame him as much because he, modifications were made to the ship build, after. It took, it's a, he built, that, that ship was built in, what was it, 1902, I think you said at the beginning yeah. or something like that. Um... It, the disaster happened... 1915. There you go. So, like... And at the time, like, it had been heavily modified from its original design. Exactly. Heavily so, modified. So, well, I don't blame him for it. Exactly. His remarks were awful. Well, that's like that's like you taking home a car, rebuilding mm-hmm. the suspension on the car, mm-hmm. and then going out in your brakes fail because you didn't put it together fucking correctly. Like, you can't blame goddamn the car manufacturer because you tighten the bolts. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't feel about or bad about him. Or, yeah, yeah. He was asked if he had ever worried about the Eastland, and Jenks' reply was, I had no way of knowing the quality, the quantity of its business after it left our yards. No, I didn't worry about the Eastland. That's not the quote. The quote was, when he was asked why the ship had never been stability tested, as it was supposed to be, so in that he is negligent his comment was it righted itself straight as a church satisfactory demonstrating its stability oh, i can't find it but he said something particularly callous about the uh about the loss of life and the passengers that i found particularly disgusting but i can't seem to find it right now and that's my fault for not documenting better so you know no remember no, i don't no, do this no, for no, a living so <laughs> This is free, folks. This is free. <laughs> exactly. I didn't make no money. But anyway, yeah. It was... Um, and that's what I have on the Eastland disaster. The only thing to add is that after it was fished out, it was actually repaired and used as a military boat for a while. Oh, nice. Uh, they yeah. call her the Widowmaker? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I do have... Here, let's see. Oh, it actually received World War One honors and awards. Oh. Interesting. Right. The U.S. Navy, the USS Willamette. Okay. And they acquired. Mm, wow, they acquired it uh, November twenty first of nineteen seventeen. Oh, so two years later, huh? They was, they found that for got an auction for a good price. Like, will it float? Let's go. Yeah. Let's catch it up. They barely scrubbed the blood off oh, the floor. Good thing those guys didn't complete cutting out all those passengers with the torch and everything, so Uncle Sam could get it and not have to patch as many holes, huh? Yeah. This says it was also decommissioned three times. <laughs> okay. 
Once in July of 1919, once in February of 1940, and again in November of 1945. I mean, that looks like a standard generational decommission to upgrade, though. Okay, so I don't know anything about that, but... I've watched military stuff on YouTube. Okay, so I'm assuming when it says stricken, it means it was permanently taken out. Yeah. And that was... Yeah, December of 1945. So my guess is, is here it went in and they're like, it's a heap of shit, there's nothing we can do. Yeah. 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 And it says it was class- it was reclassified as a gunboat in the 1980, in 1918. Holy shit. Yeah, girl. So you want to take all the, in- the all the added problems of stability, you want to throw guns on it. That seems Oh no, that's kind of like, no, no, no. hey, hold on. That's like those when those tightrope dudes have the, the long poles, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You stick those guns off the side of that motherfucker, and then you got a sweet stability platform to play with. Yeah. <laughs> Come on now. Yeah. To be And ammo weighs a lot. You store it at the bottom of the boat? Yeah, I guess I can see that. I guess I can see that. But yeah, they, sold, they said it sold for scrap on the 31st of October in 1946. <laughs> Cool. <laughs> yeah, I would. I would argue it was scrapped long before then. But I apparently would argue it found that its too. Uses. Yep, the scrapping was completed in 1947. Wow. Yeah, that's wild. Man, I mean, that's a that's a hell of a journey for a boat that like arguably started its life off with an immense tragedy. I mean, I bet you its body count from the disasters higher than its body count from World War One as a gunboat. Yeah, probably. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have any problem believing over that at the all. over the entirety of World War One. Mm-hmm. I bet you it killed less people than it did in the the moment that it turned over. Yeah, I blew it. Oh, that's such a ridiculous thought, too. Isn't it? It was a gunboat made for war, and it probably killed less people than in the oopsie incident of a bunch of assholes who didn't upgrade and or fix things or yeah. know what they were doing. Yep. It and doesn't. It doesn't take the guns to kill that many people. It took dumb fucks. It yeah. took dumb fucks is what it took. Lazy, lazy dumb fucks who didn't want to do their fucking job. Wow. Yeah. Then it killed more people with dumb fucks than when it was meant to kill people in war. That is such a fucked thought. Mm-hmm. Oh man. I guess it. I guess it got to live a virtuous life at the end, redeeming the the ship somehow. But uh. I don't know about that. But yeah, it was just ugh. the spot where the Eastland went down is still around today. Okay. And uh, actually, in the podcast I was listening to, the author first found out about the Eastland because he was eating at a restaurant that's across from where it happened and they could see the spot from where they were sitting and the person he was eating dinner with pointed it out and said hey do you know what happened over there and told him all about it and then he started this journey in writing his book yeah yeah wow okay yeah so when are we going to chicago getting giordano's eating at the place (laughs) they were eating at and going to check it out Good and don't, don't at me, by the way. Giordano's are dying, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Care I'm about down. your opinions about New York pizza? Go fuck yourself. <laughs> Actually, we've talked a few times because Taylor did an episode on Belle Gunness. Okay. The female serial killer in, in Laporte. Yeah. Or from Laporte. Yeah. I've heard you mention that before. Yeah. She's, uh, well, the farm's still around. You have a, you have a, uh. Uh, a weird predilection to female serial killers. 
I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. Ah! <laughs> it's not that- like I have obsessively researched Elizabeth Bathory, so that's been a problem for me. I get it. The uh. whole thing is fucking wild to me from start to finish. The fact that the shipbuilder knew, like, that it, it listed on its maiden voyage. Yeah, it righted itself. He's like, what though? It, it, it turned over. Yeah. Maybe that was what the ca- the f- part that I found so callous that he yeah. was like, yeah, Fair so enough. what? We didn't test it. And yeah, she went out. We watched her turn yeah. over and we watched her not flip over. We watched exactly. her come back up. So She's she immediately listed out of the harbor. So yeah, <laughs> there's, uh, there's so many things about this. And I found that repeatedly, like since doing this podcast, yeah. it's become... Kind of one of those things that I have to, like, it's one of the reasons why I have to include the little heroes, because so often it's stories like this where it's gross negligence or people making the wrong call that have led to catastrophic loss of life. Oh, oh yeah. Well, see, my, I like military history quite a bit, like uh, uh, legitimate military history, tactics, strategy, you know. Um, I, I'm not much for modern warfare. Uh, I, I prefer old, but it's the same thing. It's, you know, when you, you look at like the, you were talking about people making decisions that just get people massacred and you you talk about like when the mm-hmm. Romans marched into Hannibal's troops mm-hmm. as he was leading them on the just pillage and raid of, of Europe and he just, that, that one mistake from that commander led to just so many legions of troops getting wiped out. Just so many men because one man didn't see the fucking trap coming and they were like, okay, we're just doing what we're doing because this is what we do. Ah, it! Ah! Yep. Elephants and fucking shit. Calvary. Ah! Yeah. It's oh, so... Maybe at we're some all, point... Hey, do you know we're all so lucky to be here because about, at this point in history, every one of everybody's ancestors is the product of surviving a war. Yeah, I've thought about that. It's kept me up at night. Isn't it crazy? That thought has kept me... Like just to be breathing, you are winning a that. genetic lottery. Like, through plagues, oh, yeah. through starvation, oh, yeah. through famine. Random acts of like, violence. Exactly. When you think about it in those terms, it is a miracle any of us are yeah. here. Oh, the, I mean, we are, well, we're, we're flying through space on an orb... Uh, that's spinning at what twenty one thousand miles an hour, uh, accelerating. Uh, the entirety of our solar system is accelerating up at uh, some nineteen thousand miles an hour or something like that. We live in a cosmic shooting gallery mm-hmm. in a Goldilocks zone and are protected by the orbit of the planets around us, and which is why we haven't been shot to pieces <laughs> in the in the cosmic chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, we we had one that kind of wiped the dinosaurs out, and the rest of them are just real cute, you know, effects that people get on Russian dashboard cams. Yeah, but like we live. In a cosmic shooting gallery on a fucking organic spaceship where we're living in hibernation in our mother's ovaries until we're waking up to become a part of the crew. Thank you for Isn't that, that fucking crazy? nightmare. Isn't that fucking crazy? That. Thanks. <laughs> <sighs> I go back to that frequently, though. There's so many stupid decisions made by people that have led to loss of life, like, over and over and over again. And I've encountered it so much in doing this podcast that I, again, I have to, like, cling to the people who do the right thing. 
you know? Well, I mean, look, at, dude, you look at it, and it's it's so crazy, because nobody stands up to scrutiny. You look at Mother Teresa, and for all you were told growing up, and then oh, you yeah. find out she wasn't nearly the, the saint everybody thought, and then when you look at Gandhi, uh, Gandhi was not nearly the saint he was projected to be. He did great things in a moment, because that's what humans are capable of. We can do great things in a moment, but none of us are perfect. Yeah. And it was, it's one of those, like, I mean, no one. But then again, not all of us have stop welders from trying to get people out of a trap shed. Oh, I mean, definitely. There's there. Are, I mean, there are definitely levels of worseness. Like, yeah, that yeah. everybody has eaten people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh God. I always yeah. See, I one of my introductions to like dark podcasting was a, a podcast about Ed Gein, mm-hmm. and it was I sought it out after like the Netflix Mindhunter show because I heard if like it was very accurate, and mm-hmm. then you find out the story is entirely accurate, and it was just like, that is so fucking dark. That is yeah, it's uh, like great, cool. I needed that. No, not at all. Uh, heroes. That's why I said I I really enjoy like military history or like uh, military heroes, people who were fighting for a cause or. You know, the people who didn't just do what they were told and yeah. fought for a cause. Like, and not even just military. I like people who fight for causes, you know. I get that. I, I do, and I definitely kind of sympathize for that. I like the everyday man kind of stories of someone coming through and well, doing something Well, it's like the really. guy jumping into the river repeatedly. Oh, the, the businessman. Uh, what was in that? Just kept jumping back into the river to save people. Mm-hmm. The... Uh, um, the one who's nicknamed the human frog? Yeah. Yeah. The, the He literally is a businessman just walking by and was just like, fuck it in my business clothes! Like, yep. woo! Coming and for you. Yeah. I can swim and I'm just going to, like, do this. I'm just going to save as literally as many people as I can to put my own self in danger. Like, yeah. cause I don't know if you've ever had any, like, uh, lifeguard training or anything like that, but it's it's a very dangerous prospect trying to rescue a drowning person. Drowning mm-hmm. people are panicky. Um, drowning mm-hmm. people will drown you, too. Yeah. So being able to jump into the water at a moment's notice and then rescue that many people, or to rescue anyone, yeah, is is in itself a, a superhuman feat. Yeah. Extraordinary by the I highest think definition. Part of it definitely is too. It kind of gives us a mirror, and we look at ourselves and wonder, would we do the same? Right. You yeah. know, do we have that character? To put our lives in jeopardy in order to save someone else's. Yeah. A stranger. Yep. You know? Yeah. And I think that's... I think it's one of the reasons we as human beings are so drawn to stories of extremes anyway. Because we wonder about our own character and what we can learn about our character from these stories. Yeah. So, it's. I think it's partly to why there's the fascination with, like, serial colors and things like that. Like... You know the highest highs and the lowest lows. Exactly. Well, well, it's like we were talking about. Uh, humans are capable of, of great, bright, sparking moments of humanity that are mm-hmm. that illuminate for generations and are remembered through through you know what what they said or what they did, and then in the very same breath, people are capable of such horrible things that it never leaves the human consciousness. Yeah. It is. It's universal. You know, people's. Uh, what is it? Uh, the um, this, the Superman chest symbol is more recognizable than the Christian cross across the world. Mm-hmm. But what that symbol means for everyone, or, or you know, is 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 wholly different. But it's recognizable. Yeah. And but it's it's a hero. It's hope. It's one of those things. Yeah. And it's it's the idealist. It's what we. But then again, like everybody knows who Hitler is too. Yeah. Yep. And 
weird kind of juxtaposition to that is I I kind of hate when I do tattoos and people want to throw a lot of words in them. Yeah. Because it, it feels like find a creative way to communicate an image. A picture's through, worth a thousand words. Exactly. Through the image. You don't have to throw text into every fucking tattoo. And I really, I, really hate people destroy good designs with that frequently because they want to, like, spell it out. And it's like, why? Let the image come I, through I its don't, own. Because I, uh, art is subjective, and I don't think some people want certain things left up to interpretation or they're scared to have it be scrutinized by interpretation mm-hmm. so they want to make sure that it's definitive or not nebulous i could understand that if it was like fair enough deep existential yeah, stuff no, but I know. it's frequently not my journey is that of a leaf on the wind <laughs> i know <laughs> i'm sure i am mm. a star i am a star burned bright no, the nerd in me wanted to go watch me soar. Oh, yeah, I know. That's exactly <laughs> what I was... Yeah, I know. That's I was ripping that off whole, whole cloth. I don't give a fuck. Uh, yeah. Sue me. Yeah, so if those words don't bring tears to your eyes... <laughs> I'm a leaf on the wind. Watch me soar. Oh, man. Are you kidding me? And the, <laughs> tutic, and, and the tutic himself, man. I'm telling you. The man's he amazing. He is fucking Tutic. Awesome. Tutic. Yeah. Yeah. I love him. I love him. I, I, in, and that's the sad thing. I saw a meme the other day. It made me feel old. It was like, uh, it, it, to go right along with Tudyk, in fact, mm. uh, uh, it was um, uh, God, Paul Bettany, the guy who plays Vision. Yeah. And it was like, how you met Paul Bettany. And then how I met Paul Bettany. It was Chaucer from A Knight's Tale. Yeah. And, you know, Tudyk being in that movie, like, that's where I met him at. Like, fuck you. Fuck you. Like, yeah. Within an inch of your life. I love that dude. Exactly. I think that was my hey. first one, too. Is, yeah, through that, which was... Uh, I mean, well, I, hey, dude. People either love hey. or hate that movie. Personally, I love it. Well, so. you're looking at the, the, the king from... Uh, Robert Baratheon. Yep, yeah. Robert Baratheon. Yeah. You're, yeah, you're looking at Vision. Mm-hmm. And then kind of phenomenal cast of characters that yes. he's had, especially recently, Renaissance Man. Did you, um, I don't know if you've seen it, but do you ever see the interview um, with him while he was, like, voicing the chicken Hey Hey from Moana? No. I'm and he, sure like, it's... he turns to the camera at one point and just with this defeated look on his face goes, I went to Juilliard. <laughs> and I'm like, this is why I heart you. Yeah. <laughs> Comedic timing is just spot fucking off. He's very good. <laughs> he, he, oh man, uh, his, the roles he's done for DC recently. Oh yeah. All the, the, the bunch of the DC animated stuff has been great. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Everything he's done stuff. for like Pixar and Disney too. Yeah. Because he was, he was oh, King yeah. Candy he's in Wreck-It Ralph. I mean, he's got a new show out. It's like Resident Alien or, or Resident. Oh something. yes. Yeah. And I wanted to see it. It looks really good. Yeah. We have to. I think we're lining it up and helping. Yeah. You know how it is. Got to get somebody's password for whatever stream he's Exactly. <laughs> right. That's exactly how it goes. But I really wanted to see that one because, again, really big fan. So it was really cool to see him like with his own kind of series where he's the lead. And it's like, yes, I love that when somebody that I'm a fan of gets that, you know? It, well, you get more, you get that direct fix of the part of their personality you like or whatever it is. The, them, yeah. you know, their art in general. Nope, I get it. Exactly. He has that comedy, though, that I like. I like his, his comedy and his timing and everything. So, yeah, he's one of my... You've watched Doom Patrol? 
The live action Doom Patrol on No, DC. I haven't yet, but that is on the list. It's I think it's on HBO Max, but yeah, he plays um he plays the bad guy in it and it's fucking great. Awesome. I It's a little WB-ish, but not I've bad. got like a list of shows and things that I want to watch, but the problem is I just don't ever have time. So it's one of the reasons I listen to podcasts so much because I can work Passively. and listen to a podcast at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Whereas a show I'm gonna stop and I'm gonna watch. See, we just we try to for the for the sake of like family time and mm-hmm. doing things together and then having a dialogue about them or whatever it is, we yeah. we always tried to pick a show that we are all watching. Yeah. Recently, it's been fun because it's it's been um, anime. Yeah. So like, uh, we watched uh, we watched through Mob Psycho One Hundred, which is really a uh, really good one. I recommend if anybody's light on anime and doesn't know something. Um, but like, buddy just got to discover. Um, Full Metal Alchemist. Oh, okay, cool. One. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, then he's a fan of the Shonen Jump stuff, uh, Naruto and um, mm-hmm. Dragon Ball and whatnot. So that's not my fault. That's not my fault. No, not uh, at all. It's not like you own a Goku hoodie or anything. Shut up. <laughs> that's not the only thing I own. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that's just the to be most fair, stand out piece I can think of. It was extremely overpriced and bought at Comic Con. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I understand, and if I ever get the chance, I'm stealing it, but... Oh, boy, you're not the... You better better catch me on a bad day. Exactly. You're not going to make it out alive. That's why it's still there. (laughs) I haven't had the testicular fortitude to go after it yet. Fair. You know know what? I have a a that, and uh, we just did uh, a bunch of decorations in the office, and we did this... uh, Mm display you hear about them on a lot of podcasts they um and youtube they mm-hmm. they do uh, artist prints where they it, the artists all have their different categories and everything and it, there's a lot of kickback it's it's artist focused art and it's yeah. all printed on these metal sheets that come with these cool magnetic hangers and i bought a collection of them <laughs> like that's cool oh uh, we decorated the office and it's, it's yeah it was pretty it was pretty nice and pretty fun to do it. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that too. And I've said this on the podcast before and I will say it again. Please, 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 if you're going to decorate your homes or apartments or whatever, don't buy art from big corporations. You can go on Etsy now. You can support small creators. There's Instagram. You can literally run into so many small-time artists everywhere and they'll get paid fairly for their artwork, which they won't if you have to get it through a corporation. Yep. So, um, I've said this again, and I will always say it, support the small businesses, support small creators, you know? And there's so many that are underrated. Well, it's never been more available. This is the day and age for people who make custom stuff. It is. It's great. I love seeing it. Like, Instagram is crack for me, because... uh, all the people that I can I can follow, like blacksmiths and painters, you know, other tattoo artists, and seeing what they can do is so inspiring. Yeah. You know, illustrators, just mind-blowing stuff. And I, over and over again, I just get drawn into it because it's so cool. And now, not only that, you've got, like, they can do time-lapse videos. You can watch them create stuff. Yeah. Which is the coolest fucking thing to me. It's, it's so inspiring to me. Because, I, I don't know, I like uh, I think we were talking about this before the podcast, but I, mm-hmm. I've 
made a, a shift over the, a lengthy period of time in my life to go from passively viewing entertainment to trying to learn skills and doing things. And it's the mm -hmm. reason of watching those videos passively that's motivated me to use it to learn to actually do the things. Yeah. And I, I, I didn't realize how many, like, you know, small skills are so obtainable through just, like, oh, you can watch YouTube and get it all done. Oh, yeah, it's all there now. Yeah. Yep. There's so many great ways to educate yourself. And, and now you have things like Skillshare and Lynda.com and oh, stuff yeah. like that, where if you want to know how to do something, you know, it's there. You know, you can pay, like, for one class and learn from one class. Well, and it gets you know, even better than time, that. And that's amazing we can do that now. It, and it's it's nice to find all the, the free. Um, oh, yeah. The free, like, the... the, the the classes that have been completely copied down over a YouTube course and mm -hmm. um, just it, it's amazing the the knowledge that people are, are, are I say quote unquote giving away but mm -hmm. like you know they they have their returns from it one way or the other but like it's yeah. still there we live in this library of Alexandria and I feel like oh we do ourselves a disservice when we stop learning as human beings yeah I, I fully agree with that I fully agree with that. But it's one of the reasons why I like doing this. Yeah. Why I like specifically doing this. Because things I thought I knew something about, now I get to deep dive and, and I have a reason to go and sit and spend hours reading, you know. Oh, because you needed and... a reason to sit for hours <laughs> reading. Fair enough. Fuck that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, it, it's, it's more targeted. No, I get it. No, no I tell, I a hundred percent understand. It's just like I said about like I was watching YouTube videos for pleasure yeah. versus like reading fantasy or something for pleasure. Then versus like I'm doing this to study for the podcast to get my notes to write this down to form the script to yeah. make this thing happen. No, I a hundred percent understand. I've been like I was telling you, I've been trying to. I've always I, I've I've always loved computers. Built mm -hmm. my own. Built multiple now. Like. And I've always known a little bit here or there, or whatever. But I'm trying to consolidate that knowledge, not for any sort of like job opportunity or anything, like so. But Just to have it because it's something I think is neat, or it's a yeah. skill that I want to, to to learn, and it's right there. It's there. It's been so easy just to play it passively and and listen to it while. I do the thing next to it, and it's so mm -hmm. hands on. And I've never been a schoolboy, never class clown, but never a schoolboy. Yeah. Um, and so like being able to embrace the, 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 the change that's inspired by learning mm -hmm. is, uh, oh man, oh, what is it? There's a great quote from Frank Herbert's Dune, D-U-N-E, the Dune series, you know, the yeah. words of Arrakis and whatnot. It says, the sleeper must awaken. Yep. And it's, and it's all about the catalyst of change being the reason that the sleeper awakens, that we will not become fully who we are unless the change is catalyzed. And we change to meet the, the demands and the yeah. rise to meet the occasion. Exactly. And it's one of the reasons why, especially like now with my son being a teenager, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to encourage him to like go out in the world and have experiences. Like, because you never know what it'll lead to. You yeah. never know what passion that you don't know you have until you're out in the world and you stumble across it. You know, yep. it's very tempting to sit cloistered like and, and I'm I'm just as guilty of it as anybody to staying home and not going out doing things because home is a happy, safe oh. place. But you miss out on living in that way in the worst way possible. You stop having experiences. You stop growing and learning. The, the point where homeostasis becomes stagnation. Exactly. 
Yeah. And yeah, I've been there. Been there, felt that. It's a it's kind of it's like being stuck in the mud, man. You got to get your yeah. tires spinning again. You got to get yourself up out when you're finally out, got the momentum it feels so much better to 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 look behind you and see the fucking hole you left behind. Exactly. You have that you for me sometimes too. I don't know if it's for you, but for me I sometimes have that moment of dread like God, I don't want to go do this. And then I make myself do it, and then afterwards, it's always that moment of, God, I'm glad I did that. Every time I look at the fucking treadmill. <laughs> fair, <laughs> Every fair. fucking time. I hit 30, my left knee don't fucking like me. Yeah. And every, but, you yeah, know, I, I take it easy, I do my best, I stretch out, I put a brace, but, like, seriously, getting, I was always a fairly in-shape kid. Mm-hmm. Um... And then, you know, it, even into my 19, 20, early 20s, still fairly, fairly svelte. And then there was something about, like, 27 to 32 that, like, oh, my God, holy crap, where, what? Like, <laughs> <laughs> my belt, where did it go? Holy crap. And the, yeah. the journey back down has been, like, I can't believe I let myself stagnate to the point where... I lost the things that I loved about. I loved being athletic and sporty, and there was a lot of stuff I did, and being active. And yeah, yeah, I feel like if I didn't try to do something about it, I'm just my kid. You know, I'm kind of dad who goes out and try to throw a football with your kid and follow, you know, wheezing and shit. Yeah. Like, oh no, I can't do that. I think it's the same. And creative people often get criticized for this because we tend to do it a lot. Mm. But we'll start learning something, you know, mm. and then. You know, we'll eventually get sidetracked and we'll go, oh, no, now I need to learn about this. So you end up with piles of shit. Yeah. Like, I've, I, for a while, wanted to do jewelry making. I have a whole shit ton of jewelry making stuff at home that I have not touched in probably a year now. Yep. yep. <laughs> but I don't regret doing it or investing in it because it was still a learning experience. It was still knowledge I didn't have before that I have now. See, that I am very much like that with, with tools in general. Yeah. Um, be they physical tools and, mm -hmm. you know, with like power tools or hand tools or anything like that, but also like now with computer tools and things like I, yeah. there are tools that like are industry tools that I don't know how to use or function with or anything like that, but I have them because somebody suggested that it's yeah. something you might want to learn if that's what you're interested in. Yeah. So I got the shit, like maybe I'll touch it one day, maybe that file will be opened, but like. See for me, there's two on my list. Um, my bucket list that I want to try. I don't want to master it. I don't have to master it. I just want to learn. Okay. Um, but glass blowing and blacksmithing. Okay. Those are two I really want to get behind at some point and actually like take a couple classes and, and learn. Man, you want to get burned a bunch. I do. Apparently. <laughs> Which is awful because I'm a ginger a and we are more sensitive hey. to thermal pain. <laughs> don't, don't, don't touch your ink. Don't. Don't don't ruin one of your tattoos. You better get them long leather sleeves. <laughs> you better get the full helmet. Like, See, girl. but that's the best part is I work with other tattoo artists. If I fuck them up, they'll fix them for me when fair. they heal. I'd be fair. So. But man, <laughs> I have been I have been burned like that. It's oh like, yeah, I know. So I say Twitter and I used to a uh, friend of mine. Twitter used to operate a. Uh, a kiln together. Mm -hmm. We could with charcoal and a leaf blower. We could melt aluminum. Yeah, pretty pretty reliably. We'll say like we could unroll a, a thing of aluminum flashing into a pan, and it just <laughs> it was fun. It was literally just charcoal and a yeah. leaf blower to get it going. And I got burned by 
just fucking around with that. Got a little splatter, got a little, oops, some water went and pop. And it hit me right in the arm and yeehaw fun. Dangerous art project that I really, really want to do and try is I want to get a giant canvas, prop it up, and get a bunch of spray paint cans. Shoot them. And shoot them, hit them with axes, sledgehammers, various sharp implements to see the different ways to cause the splatter. <laughs> I think I, I I think I know someone who will donate their firearms for the use of your science. <laughs> science artistic expression, you know, a bit of both, I guess. I like it. Because I tend to plan out the colors very carefully. <laughs> we, have, we have a variety of calibers to choose from. <laughs> but yeah, it's stuff like that that I just, I love the concept of. No, I, that, yeah, no, I, I understand that, and that need to be creative, and that need to yes. try and fail, and, and fa- I say fail, I hate the negative connotation of word the, around the word fail. I 110% the, agree. The, 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 uh, the freedom and the ability to try something and fail is, should be such a comfort. Yeah. Like. The only way to reach success is to fail a bunch uh, of times. Yeah. And, yeah. and when failure, and, and in that case, when you. The failure is not impactful. Like, you have to really grasp when it's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, okay, we can just do it all over again or whatever it takes yeah. to, to satisfy your, your, your I moment. Think you and I have talked about this, too, is um, in the past it has been, it's one of the reasons why, like, I know you don't and I don't accept criticism from people who don't create. Yeah. Because if you've never made something and then put it out there mm-hmm. for other people's judgment... You have no idea what you're talking about. Yep. No matter, I don't care. I've had friends try to comment to me about like jokes or something. Mm-hmm. What, the, what they would consider funny, and it's like it. I I, I get the whether or not you think it's aha or it's in your wheelhouse or mm-hmm. however it is, but at the end of the day, if you haven't stood on that stage and tried to t- get people to go along with your story. Mm-hmm. And laugh, or whatever the response you're trying to get, to be fair. Yeah. It, it, I, your opinion to me is, it's like it's like non-parents giving parents advice on kids. Oh, like, yes. please, go feel free to walk into a fire. Exactly. Like, <laughs> fuck, fuck right off. Until you've that. just held that irrational screaming human being who... Mm-hmm. Pick, pick the random... Roll the random dice of reason why that kid's crying at the moment. But... Okay, moment of schadenfreude, though. Okay. How happy you get when those people finally have kids and I you do. get to watch everything they said fall the fuck apart. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and you're just in the distance like, I'm not going to tell you I told you so, but yeah. I fucking told yeah. you so. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, all that was going to work, huh? Exactly. You wouldn't have done that? What are you doing right now, Becky? Uh-huh, uh-huh, what are you exactly. doing? <laughs> oh, oh, I love it. <laughs> nope. I have, I have literally just stopped people like I got to, uh, Liam stopped a friend of mine the other day. Mm-hmm. He started giving him life advice about what he should do later. And mm-hmm. Liam just kind of passively looks at him and goes, I'm not going to listen to you, but keep talking. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, what do you mean you're not going to listen to me? He goes, I'm going to listen to my dad. And uh, he goes, I'll take it. I, I go, <laughs> we were talking to him. We go, okay, buddy. Just tell them you'll take it under advisement. I said yeah. it's the politest way to tell somebody to go fuck themselves. Exactly. <laughs> it's exactly. It's a, it's the equivalent of oh bless your heart. Like. Yeah. Or the email thing, which like if if you read you know 
in my prior email, which is the nice way to say, if you had fucking actually read what I wrote you before, you dumbass. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if we'd have done this right the first time, you non-reading ass motherfucker. Yeah. Oh, shit like that. Yeah. It's, it's a thing. It's, it's an awful obnoxious thing. (laughs) But yeah, you'll have that, I think, I don't know, just any... Any industry, any any hobby, any any genre, you're always gonna have people that think they know about more than they do. Oh man, it's like we just wrap back around so. to the fucking disaster exactly. because you had a bunch of people, including a captain, who thought they knew more mm-hmm. than they did, and then fucking turned it into a goddamn tragedy that yeah. killed more people than Bingo. the fucking Titanic, right? More passengers. More passengers than the Titanic. More passengers, yes. Yep. Yep. Because uh, the Titanic lost a great deal of crew, too. Fair enough. So. God damn. You feel bad for the people who paid the ticket to their own death. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying I feel less bad for the people who were paid to be there, because either way, you're there, but man. Ugh. Yep. The whole thing. And I, I think it's kind of important to talk about things like this, too, to keep bringing up the importance of like if you're ha- if you're working a job and you have that moment where you're like eh, I could half-ass this or fudge this have that conversation with yourself like seriously sit down and have that conversation with yourself and doing that are you going to hurt somebody you know and if the answer is potentially yes then don't fucking do it man take that extra step and protect somebody else just to be a good human being, if anything else. Well, you see the... Ah, man, I know. And then there's the general apathy of minding one's own business, or there's... There's just so many natural human hurdles. Some people... The mm-hmm. the lack of physical confidence in a lot of people, mm-hmm. that that leads to so many problems. Bullying and... You know, ah. Yeah. When people grow up... Understanding that, like, conflict is a part of life. Mm. That, for some people, physical conflict is unavoidable. Mm. Um, that That isn't how we should have, you know, ever choose to solve our problems off the beginning, but there are definitely times where the application of it of, is necessary. But I don't know. It, it, to, to, for people to understand what righteous action looks like and to see it in a large scale like hopefully inspires people to do that in smaller acts mm-hmm. care be the hero you know be yeah. the one who who saves them and disappears into the night or whatever like mm-hmm. be just be the one to blow the whistle you know make the call whatever happens do the right be. thing yeah just the ever at the at every opportunity given yeah do the right thing not to get all spikely on people but <laughs> oh, that's I mean, an old ass movie reference well <laughs> Shit, it's one of the oldest references in the world, too, is do unto others, right? It's in almost every major religion, the, the, mm-hmm. the golden rule. It's, yeah. it's, it's everywhere in the human culture. It's the ideal of humanity, some would say, right? Yeah. Like, a share, a, the, one of the few shared things across humanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Weird. It's amazing, too, how many things we do share and we don't really... So we all have more in common than we have that separates us. Yeah. Tattoos in particular, I think, which is one of the reasons why I like it so much, you know, but it's why I like mythology, it's why I like folklore, and it's why I like history, because so much of it connects us to one another. Is it because of all the dirty scumbags that get tattoos? Or... <laughs> Kindly fuck off, sir. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit.
No, I get it. I, I really do. I, I well, and especially the when you get that flavor of artistic community that you like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, creation. Yeah. Music, too. I've, I've, you always hear about musicians talk, to about how they connect to one another. Even, like... Yeah, they click up pretty hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Writers. I've seen it a lot with writers. Well, they... Yeah. Well, you see a lot of, like, even cross-genre artists that, mm-hmm. that really respect each other's music or whatever. Yeah. Yep. Comedians. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That seems like a pretty tight knit community. Uh, well, it's it it is, and it's it's uh, like the like you'd say that like the top hundred acts are 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 real close. Like they've mm-hmm. all worked together, they've all seen each other, they've all, uh, you know, nothing nothing will ever be like the Black Pack with like Arsenio Hall and mm-hmm. um, Pryor and Mooney and. Yeah, those moments that, when lightning that strikes. That whole, that era, well, yeah. like the era of the comedy store, mm-hmm. when, you know, Mitzi Shore, talk about a strong, mm-hmm. strong female figure. The one that was like, let the, let them fucking run this shit. I, I don't know, that, the hierarchy of comedians is great to me because it is one of the most meritocratous hierarchies. Mm-hmm. You don't move up unless you're funny. And if you're cheating... You'll get fucked along the way. Yeah. The own the ones who lasted are the ones who, who died comedians. Yeah. You know, you got your your Lenny Bruce's your your um, God, of course I'm blanking George Carlin's name. There we go. <laughs> um, but you've got your your world shakers, people who are undisputed. They're on the Mount Rushmore. You know, I yeah. The to me though in comedy it's the most meritocratous. It's not, mm-hmm. it's really, it's, it's hardly subjective. Like the top 10 funniest comedians, it's subject, right? But mm-hmm. almost everybody will have the same top 10. Yeah. Who, that, the positions will be different, but. Yeah. And I think I could agree with that. I think the, for, I know for us, it's probably very similar. Oh yeah. Because I know we like a lot of the same, same comedians. Oh, so. Yeah. Yep. And it's, it's a crazy, uh. And then it's even crazier when you go to that underground, the the the, the less popular comedians, the ones that got their own cult followings. And, mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. The ones that, what is it? Kevin Smith had this great saying about uh, being able to express his opinion, and he goes, you know, if you can just get a hundred thousand people to give you a dollar for your opinion, you just made a hundred grand. Yeah. So. In in that sense, like. I love that. I love the fact that it's just like, that's all it took. It's just like, oh, I'm mildly funny, mm-hmm. and people want to hear me be mildly good at whatever I'm good at, or see me, or whatever, and that opportunity that we have now to do that, mm-hmm. oh, it's such a beautiful time. It's, it is the best of times, and it is the worst of times. You know what I've noticed, too, <laughs> with comedians, is the, the definite desire, whether or not they admit it, to connect. Like, to... Sh- to connect via shared experiences. So I I notice it with a lot of, like, the storytellers, you mm-hmm. know, amongst them in particular, you know. Even if they're talking about awful things that they're still making funny, mm-hmm. it's like, who else has felt this, you know? And, and how can we relate and find the humor yeah. in this shared experience? Yeah, and that is the art of it, is crafting the story that brings people into your line of thinking into that the fantasy that you've built that makes this reality funny or mm-hmm. you know what i mean the 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 
the hyperbole, the, the hyperbole that you've layered onto a subject, or the oh, I love it. I love it. I, I that's what I'm. It is my an art form. I think that too often doesn't get labeled an art form. Oh, fair. Yeah. No. Fair. I think the artists within the community know that very yeah. well, and it's very well defined there that they understand that the writing and the and the the physical performance and just I mean jokes can literally be said one way and then repeated the exact same and we kill one time and not the other and it's crowd dependent and it's all about reading the meter mm-hmm. and playing at the moment and uh yeah i i don't know i'm amateur as fuck uh you know obviously but i it was it's definitely an exhilarating art mm-hmm. it's a it's a fun it's, all the times I've, I've done open mic or whatever the those five minutes man i it's a <laughs> It's a strong drug. It's a good drug. It's yeah. a great one, especially when you have something that hits or you have something that you crafted and we're like, you know, yeah, I mean, you know exactly how it is. You know exactly how it is when you finally craft something and it's like, oh my God, it worked. It's just a spark of life. Even, yeah. even if it was just some mild victory and, you know, slightly reaffirming, it's still good to yeah. see that. For me, it's when I've created an original design and somebody picks it. Oh, yeah. That's like, I, and I when I finish it too. and it's... It's turned out gorgeous, you know, and it's not because most of tattooing is people come to you with their ideas and then yep. you take their idea from their head and put it into your own Yeah, that's style. what you did with me. I, yeah. I literally, I, I love, I love that. I, I came to you with an idea and you were like, you looked at me, cocked your head. I can do that. Give me a minute. Turned around, whoosh, swivel chair, went back there and then came <laughs> back. I was like, that is exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. And that's, that's the fun part of it to a point, but it's so much more rewarding when you've done a design from your own, you know, just imagination. Exactly. And another human being picks it because it connects to them on some level. Yeah. That is, it's just the best. It's the best feeling. Right. Like, other than my children, I don't think anything's come close. Fair. I mean, it's not terribly dissimilar to birthing a a, a successful piece of art. It's putting something of yourself out there. Yeah. You know? And well, one would say the delivery process of your art is often painful. For them. <laughs> or laborious. Yeah. Yeah, no, that I would agree with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I hate the notion. I hate the notion, and I hate hearing it. That um, if you find a job you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Fuck off with that, because I work harder than I have ever fucking worked, yeah. and I uh, just am crazy about this yeah. job. It's a borderline obsession. Yep. But you I know? know it's fucking work. Yeah. I, I just hate... I, I don't like the concept of talent in general because I feel like it negates the effort and all the hard work that goes into reaching oh, yeah. the peaks. Yes, yes. Pe- some people are more naturally inclined to something or another, but I just... I hate being told I'm talented. I'd rather be told I'm hardworking. Yeah. Yep. 100%. I, I've told you before, the best compliment I ever received in my whole life was uh, I was working with Dad at yes. Odyssey Group. And uh, one of his coworkers was watching me, and he walked up and was observing me doing my job. And she leaned over to him and said, Steve, he works almost as hard as you do. Best compliment I've ever received in my life. Yeah. Uh, to work almost as hard as my father. Yeah. Our dad is an incredibly hard oh, I, hey, to be mentioned in the same breath was one of the highest honors of my life. Yep. I can understand that. And that's, I think that would be for me, too. I don't know that I'll ever get that just because I've... I, Dad and I do wildly different things, but... Dad helps you. Dad makes me do it. <laughs> Bullshit. Yeah, yeah. 
No, I definitely. And I took full advantage my, of that. I won't yeah, even lie. Yeah. My boo-boo <laughs> eyes didn't affect him in the fucking least. <laughs> no, he fully admits to it, too. I'm like, oh, no, yeah. that's bullshit. He's like, no. <laughs> Have a daughter. Find out. You know? <laughs> oh, that's why God didn't do that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He gave me one. I He gave me what I deserved. <laughs> yeah. That's... Hilariously, too, my husband, is, Scotty, is just not at all the disciplinarian at all with the kids, and it it comes to me frequently. Did you know I would be the disciplinarian? Did you? No, did you not in a million years. When not I grew years. up, I would end up being the stick in the household. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. I got, I, I got hit with that stick more than most kids should have. <laughs> like... <laughs> A, oh, I thought you were definitely going to be the go ask your mom guy. Oh, jeez. I know. And, I, you know, it's really cool to see how you've become a parent and, and how you deal with Liam. Because you're an amazing father. Oh. Oh. So, you are. They, oh, <laughs> thank you. So, and my nephew has your big personality and your hard opinions. <laughs> so, have fun. I know. <laughs> I know. You know, and the more dangerous thing about him is is how much of his mother's brains and patience he got. Oh, God, yeah. And so it, was, it is a deadly combination. It really... <laughs> he, but, you know, he's still at that age where he's still trying to slide the old place past me, and it's like, no, I've done it, seen it, been there. Yeah. Um, but you want to hear something really funny? We had the... All of the boys are starting to experience those nice adolescent oh, changes yeah. called puberty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... So we had we've had the talk, as it were, um, and we were talking back and forth one night about what we were gonna do. And I've never been like I like a good plan and I like a, th- but for me there are a lot of things that I must approach spontaneously mm-hmm. that I kind of just trust myself to wing. Yeah. And. Um, we talked about it. We did, we 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 came to a decision that yes, we were gonna have that talk. Mm-hmm. And a few days later, man, I had been just kind of noodling it. We're doing the dishes, and he mm-hmm. hands me a plate to rinse off. And I look at him and go, "So what do you know about sex?" <laughs> <laughs> Not at all awkward. <laughs> no. Oh yeah. And you and instantly the eye contact from him ceased. <laughs> Like I'm, I am I'm not going to look at you. With your dad. No, no, no. I, no, he was going to have the discussion with me. He <laughs> he did not shy away from the discussion, but he was not not going to fucking look me in the eye and do this. Right, <laughs> like, right. Like, I am not going to do that. I there's something to be said though for that kind of technique because like Aiden I, had his first breakup and everything, and that's how we discussed it. Is we played Minecraft together, so he didn't have to look at me. While he was, like, pouring his heart out, you well, know? Well, and we could have that discussion about healthy relationships and healthy breakups and, and things like that. You know that's like the that. secret of the Catholic confessional. Yeah, because you, you're not looking at, you know, the person. So it's, it just makes it easier. It does. But yeah. the I've always kind of employed that tactic with him, you know, when it was, you know, things at school or he felt, you know, he felt like he was being bullied or he was having a problem with a teacher or a kid that, like, or... He had a problem with one of us. It was like, well, okay, speak your mind. Don't look at me. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to worry about interpreting how my how I'm reacting at all, yeah. or if I'm reacting at all to to what you're saying. And it, it will just allow you to unload what you feel in its purest form. 
Exactly. Did you literally just see the light bulb moment I just had? Yeah. Yeah. What was it? <laughs> it was uh, that people frequently do that with me. Oh, okay. So yeah. they'll come and they'll sit in my chair and they're not looking at me and I'm not looking at them because I'm working on their work, you know? And people will just tell me their whole life story. Like, no. they have never okay. told, yeah. like, friends yeah. or family. That's Midwest people, too, by the way. You go to, like, Washington yeah. State, you experience, like, they call it, like, the Seattle freeze or whatever. Like, they know mm. when you're from the, the Midwest out there. No, I've spent a lot of time. Other tattoo artists like, that I've there. talked about, though, yeah. from all over, have the same thing. Like, you're in a very intimate and raw place with somebody when exactly. you're tattooing them. They're very exposed. I mean, and shoot, the more intimate the tattoo, the more exposed the, the, the moment. Like, I think there's a, re- like, it's a lot of people refer to it as ink therapy, and I, yeah. I, I get why. Yep. We're an objective source, you know. We don't have a, a, a horse in the race, so to speak. Well, so, I've, I've always, I've always told you, I find uh, uh, this serene meditation and gunpowder therapy. Mm-hmm. I, the uh, the practice of, of of handling my firearm um, mm-hmm. or firearms, whatever it may be, but the mm-hmm. the execute the flawless execution with the machine. In, in, in the technique and in, in, in the in the way I'm doing it, the the way that you have to zone in on so many individual factors about your stance and the way you're mm-hmm. holding it and the way your eyes are set and what you know comfort in the process. The the process is so encompassing mm-hmm. that it's meditative. I get that. And I get that completely. You know, you get so engrossed in the moment, and there's such a. Mm-hmm. Um, there's such an, uh, um, you know, an adrenaline aspect, obviously, which is at less and over time as a, you know, I, I, I still make, you know, I still love when you see a person who doesn't shoot very often, you know, take hold of a firearm for the first time or within their first few times and mm-hmm. they are shaking, shaking, shaking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but it's one of those, like, I find it so therapeutic to do something machine-like and encompassing mm-hmm. where... I can see it's the sim. It would be a similar feeling when it's you're in that tattoo and you're stretching the skin and you're you're I, making sure they're not moving. You're making sure you're breathing and your hands not cramping. You're making sure your technique with the the machine is on point and the, the even frequencies the process or whatever of it is. setting up. Yeah, I like the process of setting up for oh, that I, reason. Yeah, just getting my station ready to go. I enjoy that whole process, and I've had. I've had clients tell me that they actually like watching me do it because it's so... Methodical? Yeah, it's so practiced. It's right. just like everything comes together, yep. you know? And I get, like... I don't know. I, I think it's one of the reasons why I like, like watching satisfying compilations of people doing things. Right. Like, okay, recently it's been watching people, like, trim hedges, but, like, perfectly. Okay, yeah, yep. I yeah. can see that. I it, love watching people get their hair cut. Yes, I, love it. I like that too. The, oh. Like the shavings. Oh. I love like when that. I yep. walk in to get my hair cut and there's a line of people in front of me. Yeah. I love it. I know. It's the weird little delights that we take in life. Oh, yeah. You know, and but watching something done well mm-hmm. yep. is just... Well, yeah, watching any craftsman at work, they, they make so yeah. many of those videos on YouTube and stuff where you see oh, yeah. people who make street food in other countries and it's fucking Cookie weird decorating. and fantastic. Oh, yeah, or taffy makers. Yeah. Uh, anything like oh man so many like weird skills that humanity has mm-hmm. and, oh, it's so great and it's one of the reasons like things like the cooking network could ever get big in the first place because there is something satisfying in watching that but not only that and being taught how to do it don't talk know? to me about food porn 
I had a weird addiction to food porn for a long time. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. my God. Had us cooking crazy. Like, we, we still cook, you know, with an enormous amount of spices and stuff like that. But, like, man, they had us making crazy shit. No, the problem is it makes me think I can cook. And then I go try and I almost burn my house nah, down. Look, dude, I've, try, <laughs> I've tried to fail a few times. But I swear this next try where risotto is going to stand like it should. It's going to yeah. be it's gonna be a good one. <laughs> yeah. Now, I did, I did the um, Chinese dumplings recently. Oh, and cool. they turned out. Freaking amazing. Oh, great. That, yeah. I nailed that one. And I was very, very proud. And it was an all-day process. <laughs> so I don't know if I'll ever do it again because it literally took me all day. But it was it was a lot of fun. And the, and the end result was really satisfying, you know? And yeah. Yeah. I was well, very that, happy. It wraps back around to learning new skills or sharpening yeah. current skills or furthering, you know, if you're not learning, what are you doing? Why? Why? Yep. You know what I mean? Take steps forward in every aspect that you can. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's fine to, to, to take your time or to do it, but like, advance, advance and be better people that way. Like, yep. you know what I mean? When you, every opportunity that you can be better, be better. If it's towards humans or towards yourself, it's a, you know, how, arguably you have more chances to be better to yourself than others. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, what, you know, grandma, grandma Bard. Clean up your own backyard before you start on somebody else's. Yep. Like, if you have your own stuff straight or you're focusing on it, if you're staying in your lane and honing your craft. Yeah. That shit, that's my third. If, if anything, my 30s gave me, like, arthritis in perspective, so. <laughs> yeah. Yep, I can understand that completely. Yeah, I, I've gotten to the point where in my life, I definitely in my 30s, I, I've appreciated more... Um, all the wisdom that we did grow up with, especially in contrast to see other people my age who didn't have that and how much further along I feel like I am than some of my peers. And I, and I don't ever see it as like a, ha I'm so no. superior kind of thing, if anything, but it's it, a it genuine, felt, yeah. like, I feel for them. You felt like it was such a baseline that like, and it's, and it was almost effortless yeah. being taught it or experiencing it that all it really took was, I mean, yes, we had, we had parents that got divorced but like mm-hmm. our divorced it's not to say parents we were still really traumas well, but yeah well, they we, were still really active with each other we never yeah. really lacked for the parental input from either side like I, we, yeah. neither of us really has daddy issues or mommy issues or however it goes but mm-hmm. like we still got to experience a decent enough set of parents you know no okay, i shouldn't say that our parents were great but no parents were perfect understandably the way like, i frequently put it and i think you've agreed with me on it before is i never felt like i grew up in a quote-unquote broken home yeah yep uh, exactly yep it was Dude. never anything i felt to me i just got extra parents and i got more family and, and, and that was no it. oh that's all you got oh that that's all you got that's a good child you know what the <laughs> fuck i got I got four parents at teacher conference who fucking agreed with each other. I got four parents every failed fucking report card. I got four parents that one time I got called home by the cops. I got four parents to come down on me every fucking time. Everybody's like, why did you broke? I would have killed for a broken home. Fuck you. Yeah, the unity certainly had a strong. Fuck! Box. Play both ends against the middle of my ass. Uh-uh, no, couldn't do bullshit. that. Could not do that. They I lost out well. on a very valuable experience with the both <laughs> parents, and I was robbed. Uh, it's it's kind of the Daniel Sloss talks about that. He's a comedian I like. I don't know if you've listened to him, but he talked about that like with his parents. He's like, you know, how am I supposed to be an artist if you keep supporting me? Traumatize me, <laughs> damn it! 
<laughs> yeah, I understand that. <sighs> yep. I, 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 yeah, I fucking get it. While I try to not take my mania to, you know, be the spasm of a parent myself. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, man, I'm such a bad teacher. I'm such the least patient person on the fucking planet. I really am. Like, uh, I have developed an amazing amount thanks to Liam. And the fact that he looks just like me and I love him and all the chemical signs in my brain are like, you love this kid, you fucking love him. God yeah. damn it. Man, I, I have. I've really developed so much patience for that child. Yeah. Thank God. And you do. I mean, Aiden, I frequently said, is the bun I didn't bake. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But even with him, like, I was teaching him to sew and... It was kind of through having patience with him that I realized that he had a problem with his eyes. Okay. That neither his mother or his father had noticed you before. You glasses, like, He could not thread the needle. Ah. And he was trying and trying. He had tried for a good five minutes and he was getting frustrated. And I was watching him and I'm like, you keep seeing sweetie, him. try this. And I grabbed his hands and I moved him closer to his face and he got it right away. Yep. And I was like, cool, Scott, <laughs> we need to make an appointment for him. Let's get this boy some glasses. <laughs> oh, Aiden knows. I love that kid. I, I, My I, son is amazing. I love, I've loved watching, that's that's one of the kids that I've gotten to see go from boy mm-hmm. to budding man-child. Like, yeah, he's man. on his way out. Like, man. Shush. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh girl. I know, oh. I know. Oh, his first heartbreak, love- man, he handled it way better than me. Ah. Like, because, okay, like I said, like, we're having that conversation, right? And I, and as soon as he, like, leaves the room, I'm turning to my husband going, I'm going to kill a little bitch. She broke my baby's heart, you know? All reason and logic and critical thinking skills right out the fucking window. <laughs> first off, dear, that's a minor. Second off, dear, chill out. Like, exactly. You don't want to be doing tattoos in the women's prison. <laughs> That, and he was laughing at me so hard, and I'm like, look, it's my baby, okay? <laughs> Jesus. Oh, my God. Yeah, we we got lucky, too, in that we've got great kids. So. Oh, yeah. Shit. Yeah. Great parents, great kids, great life. It's I have very little to complain about, I'll put it that way. Yeah. 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 I feel like, you know, rolling 20 on the cosmic dice... Yeah. And ultimately, I think the things that that have been endured, um, at least for me, have given me perspective I don't think I would have otherwise had and have helped form me into a much better adult. And that was that catalyst that we were talking about. It's those moments where I've learned the most about myself. Yeah. So. Well, but I think that goes back to the fact that you're willing to put in the hard work and push through it and find out about yourself through the hard work and the doing it. Because plenty of people run from those that rise. Yeah. You know what I mean? So so many people, when the, that rise of responsibility happens, they run from it. You know, whether it, it's kids or it's, you know, relationships or whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, but the fact that you fought for it, it means it, it embeds it in you. It's something you fought and you've bled and, you know, you've done what you've had to do for and it's so much it's so much more meaningful when you've fucking made it from clay it is it's your it is it it's your own it, it really it's your is. wonder woman it's your it's your sculpted it from clay and breathe the life into it mm-hmm gorgeous not you know how much i love wonder woman so he <laughs> worked in that beautifully <laughs> see <laughs> and you say you're not a writer <laughs> 
writer. And, all right. Yes, <sighs> I would agree with that. But you, you definitely have some writer in there. So. Oh, I know. I wish I could put more of it on the paper, though. Oh, right. I'd probably have more of a an act when I go. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. But. <sighs> All right, I think we've come around, though, to a good place, and we can wrap this up. But thank you so much for being here and doing this with me. I really, really appreciate it. Hey, I I was flattered that you asked, and it was, it got me to do my homework. And, <laughs> I, you know, I really I had multiple reminders that I was very excited to come. And uh, So you do it again with me? Oh, anytime. You awesome. Name the fucking the, the <laughs> time. I'll be there. Very cool. Very, very cool. So, all right, everybody. Well, thank you for listening. Anybody returning, thank you. I always appreciate your support and listening to what I have to say about history. And uh, I'm just really grateful that I even get to do this and that anybody listens to it at all. So, um, but once again, um, we'll see you guys on the other side. Have a good day. Uh, See you later.